Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Almost Shameless podcast. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. Thank you for joining me. I'm not gonna lie, guys. I'm tired. Tired already. It's been a couple of days of Ime Udoka and Boston Celtics and parsing through truly ridiculous reporting. And you you know me. You know me by now. I have been all over Twitter, all over TikTok, all over Instagram, talking about this stuff, trying to clarify how to look at it, how to parse through this stuff. And it's difficult. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's difficult. A lot of times when these things, these stories surround any sort of harassment, misconduct, assault, whatever it may be, anything in that spectrum, it gets exhausting for the women covering it because a lot of times the nuance falls on us to parse through and that's just how it goes. So uh, we are going to discuss that. We're going to discuss the one-year suspension of head coach Ime Udoka from the Boston Celtics. We're going to talk a little bit about what Brad Stevens and Wick Grosbeck clarified at their press conference on Friday. And most importantly, we're going to discuss why it is that we keep making the same mistakes in not only the reporting, but also in the parsing through the reporting and how we can avoid these issues moving forward because it's frustrating. And a lot of times I feel like I, nobody even understands what I'm talking about. And, you know, sometimes that will, you know, that's a, a sign to say, Hey, maybe you're not saying it right, but I've gone through it and I'm saying it right. So we'll clarify a little bit here. And then we're going to talk a little about where the Patriots stand after their week to win against Steelers. I would like it on record that I predicted that score perfectly on the Locked On Patriots podcast with Mike DeBate. I did say it was going to be 17-14 Patriots. So pride myself on that one. It's probably going to be the last time I make an accurate score prediction, but I'm going to live off of the hype at least for now. So these, this is going to be a Boston centric podcast. I do, I will end it by just talking a little bit about where the league stands heading into week three and my thoughts about why there are so few teams that are sort of elite at this point in the season. Um, not that we ever can tell completely what a team is after two weeks, but it's pretty clear that there's only a couple of teams right now that seem to fully completely understand who they are and have their shit together. Lots going to have to develop to get um, 14 playoff teams by December. So we'll hit on that before we go. Let's just get into it right now. The Celtics suspended Ime Udoka for the entire 2022-2023 season for violations of the team conduct policy. There was some clarification on what happened. Very little clarification, but enough to at least understand that there were relationships that took place within the organization with at least one staffer, potentially more, that the team came to discover were uh, not above board. They have not used any specific terms, but what we can draw from it is that ethically they felt there were some issues. If there was something as far as extreme harassment or assault I have to imagine that he wouldn't be just on suspension, that this would be an outright firing. So we know that something was amiss and the Celtics and their third party investigators who they brought in to look over this over the last month came to the conclusion that Udoka had to be 
sanctioned for his behavior. Okay. Now I want to rewind a little bit to Wednesday night, Thursday morning, when the reporting on this first came out from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN and Shams Trania of at the athletic and stadium. Both of those men stated that there was a relationship that was consensual and it, for whatever reason, had caused major concern with the Celtics. Okay. Now, right off the bat, something about that didn't add up, right? Like the Celtics and most sports organizations aren't concerned with infidelity just on its face, right? Like he is engaged and has been for a long time to nigh along. We know that, but you don't suspend your head coach who just took you to the NBA finals because he cheated on his wife or girlfriend. <laughs> Believe me, if that were the case, we'd have almost no head coaches. So right off the top, something was odd about that, especially once it came out later that they were considering a year long suspension. And that was kind of, that was where the reporting was lending itself. It's like, this was going to be a year long suspension because of his conduct and the violations of the Celtics conduct code. I talked a lot about it on Twitter did a whole explainer video on TikTok about how I look at this type of reporting and the red flags that raise concerns for me in terms of the inconsistencies. Right off the bat, a one-year suspension for a completely consensual relationship with a colleague doesn't make sense, right? But because they use the word consensual, it really opened up the floodgates of people all over the internet to speculate on who the relationship was with, specifically because Ime Udoka's got a very high profile fiance. Nia Long's a very well-known actress. And this is something that the internet is gonna do if they hear that someone's had a consensual affair. It's not right, it's not cool that people do this, but it is something that happens. Had it been reported correctly, which was that they didn't know the nature of the relationship or why it was being looked into, maybe we could have curbed some of that speculation that put basically every single female staff member on the Celtics under scrutiny with their names and faces plastered all over the internet. Um, but that's not what happened. Both Woj and Shams tweeted the words consent consensual. Notably, when Woj wrote the report, on regarding the one-year suspension, he left the word consensual out. He called it an intimate relationship. That was a red flag. Talked all about this all over the internet yesterday. The Celtics and Ime Udoka put out very, very basic responses on Thursday night. And then there was the press conference Friday morning. That came just after further reporting clarified from Sham Strania that there was a relationship with a staffer and that the team had been under the impression that it was consensual on both sides. But then that staffer came forward with concerns about things that had been said to her that she deemed were inappropriate. And that's what, when they started investigating Udoka's behavior in and around the team. Now, there is no way that Shams and Woj, knowing that a one-year suspension was potentially coming down the pipeline, that there was a third party investigation looking into this, that they should have felt comfortable enough to use the word consensual in their reporting that early on when things were that big. It's completely and utterly indefensible to do that in, in 2022. We know that consent, especially in the workplace, covers a broad spectrum of things. 
Is there a major concern about age gap or power imbalance? Is this an intern? Is this someone that reports to him? Is this someone who could have been coerced into keeping quiet or dealing with things in their relationship that they didn't want to deal with because of Ime Udoka's influence in the building, right? Does it just because you're not reporting directly to someone doesn't mean they can't affect your career in the building, especially as a woman, especially as a woman in a sports organization. All of that stuff falls under consent. Did this person know that Ime Udoka was potentially sleeping with other people in the building, moving his way through the staff, which is a rumor. It is unsubstantiated insofar as no one has said that specifically, but there are insinuations in the releases that there were multiple violations of the code and obviously a lot of speculation that maybe there was more than one woman that he was involved with. If those women didn't know about each other, then you're removing consent, right? Consent is a thing that is ongoing. It's ongoing honesty. I can't, you can't engage in a relationship with someone consensually when you don't have all the information about what your relationship entails. All of these things come into play. And this is stuff that Shams and, and Woj should have known and been aware of and been wary of before they put that word into their reporting. It's incredibly frustrating this, that this keeps happening. Adam Schefter has already had to apologize for insensitivity and flat out lack of ethics in reporting on Deshaun Watson. And now we deal with this. If it's consensual, then who is it? Blah, blah, blah. And I have a lot of people coming to me saying, well, they put out consent in the tweet because they wanted to make sure that people didn't think it was assault. I'm sorry, that's not their job. Their job is not to make sure no one thinks it's assault. First of all, we still don't know what it is. I would hope it's not assault because I would hope he'd be fired, but it's not their job to use a term as broad as consent to make sure that the few idiots who can't comprehend don't think it's assault. All you have to say is that there was an intimate relationship or a romantic relationship or however you feel is appropriate to phrase it. And it is still, it is being investigated by a third party organization hired by the Celtics. The team can be the one to clarify what the nature of that relationship was if they deem it necessary. We all have brains. We can understand that misconduct can exist, coercion can exist, inappropriate relationships can exist without assault. Every woman on the internet understands that. Maybe the men don't, but that's not, that's not our problem, okay? I have some major concerns about these national reporters and many sports media companies' ability to report on these accurately and ethically, these stories. It continues to be a problem. You know, to report that it's since come out that there's been an investigation into his behavior and that there was uncomfortability on behalf of one of the parties involved with Udoka, that it was reported to the team. If something's reported, something is off. If it started out consensual and then it became non-consensual, it still became non-consensual. If it was consensual and then it became problematic in any way, shape, or form, let's stay away from the word consensual because in this day and age, we have defined that as immediate and as a culture, as not having any of the problems, the workplace problems that I laid out earlier in this rant, right? Workplace relationships are unique. You do have to work hard to make sure that everybody is on the same page, that the people who need to know, know, and that you continue to communicate regarding the nature of your relationship throughout. That's just the world we live in. That's how you do things. 
That's how you do things in a patriarchy where women are constantly put under scrutiny and having their jobs threatened for way less than this type of stuff. You don't get to be a man in power and decide you can do whatever you want with no consequences when the women in the situation are often the ones who bear the brunt of the responsibility because we live in a patriarchy and sports media is specifically very, very male dominated. Sports organizations are very, very male dominated. That puts women in a really tough position, which is why if you want to engage in relationships in the workplace, you have to do it the right way. And that means everybody understanding the terms and the nature of the relationship throughout the duration of the relationship. This is basic human communication, empathy. It's 101. We should be beyond this at this point. A one-year suspension should have been all the information we needed to know that this wasn't a one-to-one, easy, wipe our hands of it, consensual relationship between two adults working together in a workplace environment. Something was off from the beginning. And we still couldn't find a way to talk about that successfully. It still couldn't be reported successfully. The execution was bad. It was vague and it was poorly done. It was shoddy. The Celtics communication was poorly done and it was shoddy. I don't know where the leak came from. Wick Grossbeck denies that the leak came from their organization, obviously, but it still put a lot of women in their organization in the line of fire for more than 24 hours on, t- on Twitter and everywhere else on the internet because this came out the way it did and it was reported the way that it was. It did not take a rocket scientist to understand that there was something off between the reporting of what happened and the resulting suspension that was being reported as coming down the pipeline eventually did, right? I had several male colleagues reach out to me and say something about this doesn't sound right. So if they knew that, how did Shams and Woj and so many other people on social media and in mainstream media not understand? No excuses. There's no excuses for this anymore. Hopefully, the people that were affected can have their privacy if that's what they want. I assume it's what they want. I don't need names. I don't need titles. I just want to know enough about what happened that I can feel good either about Ime Udoka coming back to the team and coaching after his suspension or moving on from the team or whatever happens. Because the Celtics do have an obligation to explain why this head coach is being handled the way he's being handled and what they, why they plan to do what they do moving forward. They do owe everybody that. This happened on their watch. This was their coach. This is their culture. And these are their employees. Don't need names. Don't need titles. I don't want anyone's privacy or lives being ruined over this. Obviously, Ime is dealing with his own consequences. That is to be expected. But both those reporters put those women in a really tough spot by being as vague and truly reckless as possible with the way that they reported it. If you want to hear more about my thoughts on this, it's all over Twitter and all over my TikTok. Uh, I'm assuming this was enough, but if you uh, are interested in more of it, it's all over my social media. Let's move on to where the Patriots stand right now. They won their game 17 to 14 against the Steelers last week. Like I said, genius, nailed it. Um, Just kidding. Like who fucking cares? But once again, it's clear that the Patriots defense is 
trying to hold this team together by the skin of its teeth, right? They're, they're trying their absolute best. And they prevailed against the Steelers, like we talked about prior to the game. Not a great offense, not, not a highly effective or potent or dynamic offense on the Steelers. So the Patriots were able to get the job done defensively. Offensively, things looked rough. They looked rough until the fourth quarter when it appeared that Matt Patricia found like a random call sheet from Josh McDaniels in his pocket somewhere because he started doing some pretty efficient runs that uh, were able to seal the game for the Patriots. I, most of it looked pretty rough. I will say this. I was the I was the most impressed I had been with the Patriots skill players that I've been in a while, the offensive skill players. I thought the wide receivers looked like they were working really hard. They had a lot of energy. I thought that they were getting better separation than they normally do. The running backs were doing their job. It almost seemed like Mac was the one struggling. A couple of miscommunications regarding routes and things like that. I really felt like it was Mac who was letting them down this time. And I have tried incredibly hard to give Mac as much benefit of the doubt as possible. I think he was put in a really tough spot this season, even last season, but this season specifically losing Josh McDaniels and having a defensive coordinator as his offensive play caller, not ideal. Um, But there has been a little bit of regression in terms of his ability to make his reads and, and create opportunities for these players. We saw Nelson Aguilar finally kind of break out a little bit. That was great to see. Still didn't see enough of Kendrick Bourne, which was disappointing. It does appear that Damian Harris can continue to be the cog that helps the run the run game continue spinning. And Ramondre Stevenson can still be that sort of big play, third down type back, make dynamic plays when they need him. I think what I'm most concerned about is just the chemistry uh, between Mac and his skill players. And I think part of that has to do with the issues on the offensive line, the inconsistency there, way too many penalties. There were a couple of really big plays that were called back, some big first downs that were called back because of holding penalties. The line just can't seem to fully get it together. And Mac is just still coming along. It's too early for him to be having these kinds of struggles from the line, especially, I mean, there is clearly some miscommunication going on. I don't know if it's because of Matt Patricia, it's coming through the headset, if there's issues at the line of scrimmage, I don't know what's going on, but this is not an offense that looks anywhere near capable enough to compete with the offenses we're seeing around the AFC. We saw what the Dolphins did to the, to the Ravens last week. We see what the Bills continue to do. Like we've talked about before, they barely punt. They score 40 points a game. The Chiefs are rolling. The Bills and the Dolphins have two of the most potent offenses in the league over the course of the first two weeks, and they're in the AFC East. Obviously, it's encouraging that the Patriots' defense was able to hold to it in that offense um, the way that they did in week one compared to how like absolutely shredded the Ravens were in the fourth quarter of their week two matchup. That was insane to watch. I do think there was a few, I mean, two of those touchdowns, like it was just busted coverage by the Ravens. It just wasn't well covered. So, you know, I, is Tua going to be the kind of guy who's throwing six touchdowns every game? No, no, there will be adjustments to what Mike McDaniel is doing with that offense. There will be adjustments to, to, tamp down on what Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are able to do with their speed. It's an incredible, that's the fastest wide receiving duo in the league. They will, there will be ways to 
to deal with that. And the Patriots actually provided somewhat of a blueprint in week one. Now, did they have way more of a chance to prepare for them? Yes. But did they know exactly what that offense was going to look like? No. So that's encouraging, right? Like it's encouraging that the defense has held up well against a good offense. And then, you know, they did their job against the Steelers last week. Now they're going to face the Ravens and this will be another big test. They actually have played the Ravens pretty well, even post Tom Brady, right? Like they've won some good games against the Ravens and I, and the defense is not afraid of Lamar Jackson. And I think this will be a good test to show us where the defense is against one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the league. He's playing really well. He's playing for a contract. He's not screwing around. This is not a game of the Ravens are going to want to lose. I mean, they can afford a loss in the AFC North right now because I don't think the Browns are going to be knocking on the door immediately, but they don't want to lose to the Patriots. They never do. And they finally get a home game, right? Like this is a huge opportunity for the defense to step up. Offensively, I don't know what to expect. I just don't know what to expect. All I've seen is this sort of dumbed down version of what they were doing last year, which is like not encouraging, you know? I just, it really is starting to look like the best thing they can do is try to replicate the Josh McDaniels offense from last season as much as humanly possible, utilize the tight ends a little bit more in the passing game, try to tighten up their coverages on the offensive line and hope that Nick Folk continues to be big kick Nick. Defense does their job and they're able to eke out close wins. You know, again, the Patriots don't look like a team that can easily score more than 20 points at any given time and in the modern NFL, that's, that's concerning. So we need to see some progress and we need to see it quickly. And I think with the, some of the late game coverage issues that the Ravens showed last week, hoping that they can maybe open things up with Aguilar, with the tight ends across the middle, some of the few little things we saw last week, maybe get lucky, right? Crazier things have happened. As far as, uh, as far as the rest of the league goes, I kind of already insinuated this. I already kind of talked about it. The Bills and the Chiefs appear to be almost head and shoulders beyond where everyone else in the NFL is at at this point. Even teams that are 2-0, like the Eagles, like the Dolphins, they haven't shown the same level of like real powerhouse consistency as the Bills and the Chiefs have. And I think it's a wake-up call to the rest of the league that the consistency at head coach and the ability to continue to help both Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen grow and get better every single year is a major factor. You know, Mahomes has continued to become a better quarterback. He's not somebody who stopped learning or growing. And Andy Reid has not stayed complacent in the way he will build an offense for Patrick Mahomes. He will change things up. He will make him work harder and learn new things. And that makes for a better quarterback. When Patrick Mahomes won the MVP and sort of blew everybody out of the water, it was really stylistic, right? It was really that we, like defenses just didn't know how to handle him. They do now, and he's still balling. The same thing can be said for Josh Allen. He has grown his re repertoire in terms of what he is able to do at the line of scrimmage, how he's able to adjust, how he's able to go through his progressions, how he's able to go from his first and second and third reads to successful yardage and turning those uh, broken plays into first downs and, you know, and being able to scheme him up when he's not on his legs, when he's not running, like all of this stuff has come along and continued to grow and get better. And those defenses continue to step up 
and get better as well. And there's just no other teams in the league that have all of that in their arsenal. Like I said, um, you know, you have to take the Dolphins seriously just because of how they've performed over the first two weeks. But there are still some things that have to be ironed out there. And I do think that as people start to figure out that Tua still does have limitations, that yardage number is a lot of yards after the catch, right? Like we've seen this before. He's still not throwing deep downfield all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's a lot of yards after the catch in that offense. And there are ways to scheme against it. We've seen the Patriots do it a thousand times to offenses like that. Right. And there are other good defenses that are going to figure that out as well. But the NFC West is more competitive than we thought the AFC West turns out the Raiders and the Broncos might not be good at all. The NFC North, you know, I think the Packers, again, are like probably better. I think the Packers are probably better than the Bucs. I'm really interested to see how that game goes because the Bucs have struggled offensively. They're going to be without Mike Evans. Their offensive line is struggling as well. They've lost, they've lost some major pieces there. So the Packers might continue to be in the top three teams in that conference purely because they have stayed fairly consistent. Again, head coach, system, all that stuff. Like, yeah, they don't have Devontae Adams, but they have a good run game, a good defense probably better than we give them credit for and that loss to the Vikings doesn't really concern me because it's a division game and that stuff happens I know the Giants are 2-0 and but until Daniel Jones looks like he's a different quarterback I think we're going to have to continue to just praise Brian Dable for what he's able to do with that roster um, but I think we're looking to the Eagles as the best team in that division and while I think Cooper Rush is impressive in terms of his ability to step in and help that team to big wins, I still don't take the Cowboys seriously. So, you know, those are just some random thoughts on where things stand right now with the rest of the league. I am looking forward to seeing how the Patriots play at home for the first time this season. So that's going to be exciting. Again, if I were to give you anything to look out for for the game against the Ravens, I'd say look out for maybe a return to some more Josh McDaniels concepts a little bit heavier in the run game and also opening up downfield a little bit more. I think they unlocked some opportunities that they can exploit with Nelson Aguilar last week. They'd be crazy to not go back to that again. Even the deep pass that, um, that Mac got picked last week. I liked it. I like the aggressiveness. I think I said on the podcast last week, I'd rather see them, go for big plays and make big mistakes than to stay so conservative that they're never able to evolve. And they're never able to start um, stretching these defenses a little bit and making them question where they can be. So I would look for a return to some of what we saw from Mac last season, but with the knowledge that he's now a second year quarterback and needs to be able to make these bigger plays downfield over the middle to the tight ends and needs to be able to move the ball more quickly downfield when they are in situations that they need to score quickly, right? So all stuff to keep an eye out for. Thank you guys for joining me this week. I appreciate it. Hope uh, hope the energy was right. I tried to pick up the energy once I got through all the stuff at the beginning and look forward to talking to you next week about everything that develops over the weekend. Have an awesome time in week three. It's officially fall. It's officially fall. So get your pumpkin spice lattes, do it with pride, go to Trader Joe's and get all of the pumpkin flavored treats. That's what this time of the year is for. And, you know, we have so few joys in life. This is, there's always something going on, right? There's always something that sucks. Eat the pumpkin stuff. Just eat the pumpkin stuff. It's fun. It's no longer cool to make fun of pumpkin spice.
We've been through too much to be making fun of pumpkin spice. You know what I mean? All right, thanks again, guys. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you are on the internet, I'm probably there too. So come say hi, come chat with me, come debate with me, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.